everybody. Man, I, I love that intro. Um, just just uh, getting pumped, getting ready to, to jump back into this series. We've been talking about the disciples. And man, I just want to let you know, my, my wife and, and daughter, they are on their, their way right now, um, probably listening in the car right now. They're on the way to, to Alabama to Gulf Shores for a, a softball tournament. And, you know, the team decided, let's find the, the tournament furthest away, and let's go to that one, because it's going to be great. So they're, they're off and, and doing that. And, you know, honestly, this, this weekend, they've been gone, and uh, just Corbin and I at our house. And so it's just like bachelor pad city. I mean, the dishes are already piled up. We need to go to the grocery store. I don't know what's going on, um, but it may just magically happens like that. And one thing I've realized is that we have probably been watching too much TV. I mean, it's just kind of what, it ha- what happens when, you know, when the things are different around the house. And I, I was thinking about the things that I watch when I'm watching TV, and it's usually things that, that I naturally gravitate towards. Like, I love watching Andy Griffith. Anybody? Okay, I don't know what it is, it's nostalgic. I don't know, I love the, the black and white version. And when they went to color, like halfway through, it was just, and it was just wasn't the same, you know, it was just different. And I, I love watching that because, you know, I think deep down inside, I want, my family to be like that. You know, I, I want our society to be like that and have all these values and, you know, people of high character. And I just, it was just a good show. Uh, but I also watch baking shows. I don't know if you're like me, but I like baking shows. Um, the reason I like baking shows, not because I just like to eat food, but it's true, but, but it's because I like to see people just utterly mess up, okay? You know, I like to watch the baking shows. It's a competition, and these, these people are not professionals, and they are just terrible and awful, and I like to laugh at them and point at them. And, Man, I could do a lot better than them. You know, I'm just, so I like to watch those shows, but my favorite shows are survivalist shows. I don't know if anybody's like me. My favorite show, and there's just a little plug today, is this series called Alone, okay? I've talked to the staff about it before. If you haven't seen Alone, you need to go watch it. So all these survival shows, you usually have, they have like a camera crew, you know, and like doctors in the background, and they've got, you know, it's, it's totally fake. And they do these fake scenarios. Well, Alone is totally different. They take 10 contestants, and they put them completely out, out in the wilderness by themselves. They're about five miles apart from each other. They're left with a, a, the box full of cameras and batteries, and they have to film themselves, and they get to take 10 things with them. They get to choose an ax, a knife, a fishing line, a tarp, you know, a sleeping bag or whatever, they get 10 items. And the whole thing is who can last the longest out there. It is crazy. It's awesome. Usually like the, the one that you think is going to win, they're the best one. They're like a former Marine or something. They're like, man, this is going to be awesome. And they get out there and like, I'm never going to quit. And this is going to be great. And about two days in, they're like, they're tapping out. They're like, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to go home. I'm with my family. And usually the winner lasts about 60 or 70 days. And you don't know when you've won because you don't know what the other contestants are doing. Okay. And it's just nuts. They finally like come and show you that you won. You win like $500,000 or something like that. And here's the deal, man, deep down inside, I want to do something like that one of these days. I don't know. Yes. Thank you. It'd be, it'd be great. I think I want to test myself to see if I can, I can survive and last that long. (laughs) I probably would last the day, but I just want to know, I want to know if I can do that. And I love watching those shows because somehow I can, I feel like I can relate you know, to, to what they're going through, or it interests me. Did you know that 75% of Americans end up, when they grow up, end up living in the same town or close to the same town that they were born and raised in? 75% of Americans. 
And of those people, 75% of them say that the reason they move back is because of family or things that they, they know how things are in that community. They, they love the, the thought and the idea that, that they can relate to everything that's happening in that community. That's what we do. We, we love to gravitate towards things that we're like. And so we're in the middle of this series talking about the disciples. We call them the dirty dozen because they were all jacked up just like you and just like me. And I think we're on week eight. I'm, I'm losing track of what week we're on. Uh, but, but we looked at some of these disciples. And maybe for you, you can relate to some of these, these guys. Maybe one week you're like, man, that is me. And I totally relate to that guy. And some weeks you might be like, yeah, I don't know. That, that guy doesn't really um, speak to me at all. His situation doesn't really mean a whole lot to me. But, but maybe you relate to some of these guys like, like Peter. Peter was... A great leader, but he made some big mistakes. Maybe that's kind of, kind of you. Um, we looked at, at Andrew, who was the evangelist, Peter's brother. And maybe that's just kind of how you're naturally bent. And you love being uh, an evangelist and sharing your faith. Maybe you're like James, who uh, was uh, the brother of John, big James. He was a fisherman. He had a lot of zeal. He was passionate about things, even though he kind of uh, stepped in front of the Lord sometimes and, and got ahead of his shoes a little bit. Maybe you're like John who had deep relationship with the Lord. Or Philip, who was found by Jesus when he wasn't even really looking for Jesus. Maybe you're like Nathaniel, who, who was, was known by the Lord intimately, that God knew his heart and, man, it just moved him. Or maybe you were like last week when we talked about Matthew, the tax collector, who had, who had a past. You're like, man, I've got a past. But even in the middle of having a past, God still used Matthew. Or perhaps you can relate to this next guy, this next disciple. His name is Thomas. Thomas. We don't know a ton about him. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in the synoptic gospels, the earlier written gospels, all we have is a list. And he's, he's in, those, he's in the, those lists. We don't know anything else about him. We do know that he was also sometimes called Didymus, which was just the Greek word for twin. So evidently he was a twin. That was kind of his nickname. So some of these disciples, they had nicknames, and he, he was Didymus. And so they just called him Didymus all the time. And, and as we don't know anything about his twin, whether it was a guy or a girl, but evidently this guy um, had, a, had a twin brother or sister, and so they called him, called him a twin. But in John, we learn about Thomas. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 11. We're going to be in there and look at the story today. And in this story, Jesus and his disciples, had, they had been around Jerusalem, okay? And he had been healing people and doing some stuff on the Sabbath. And the, the religious leaders hated him. They were looking for a way to, to uh, like, entrap him. They were looking for a way to, to um, arrest him and possibly even, um, even, even put him to death. And so the, and the disciples knew that. And Jesus knew that. And they, 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 they went back up into Galilee. And they were doing ministry up there. And while they were up there... They hear word that one of Jesus' really close friends, maybe his best friend, was really sick. His name was Lazarus. And the disciples, man, they, they tried to talk Jesus out of going back down to see Lazarus. Because Lazarus lived in this little town called Bethany. And Bethany was like a suburb of, of Jerusalem. And they knew that if they went, we went down to Bethany, that he was going to get arrested. They knew that Jesus was going to... Um, be, they were going to know that he was on the road. They were going to arrest him and probably try him and probably kill him. And they were, they were nervous about that and scared. So they were like, hey, Jesus, let's not do that. Let's not go. And they, they waited and waited. And then Jesus says this. In John chapter 11, starting verse 14. It says, then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. 
And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So he says, hey, Lazarus died. But you know what? We're going. Pack your stuff. We're going. I know it's going to be difficult. I know it's going to be dangerous. But hey, we're going. And I love what this next verse says. It says this, verse 16. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples. So Thomas gets up and he's, he, he's, he's the one who speaks up. He says, let us also go that we may die with him. It's kind of a crazy statement. So Jesus says, hey, guys, Lazarus is dead. We need to go. And Thomas says, all right, boys, let's go. I mean, if we're going to die, might as well die with Jesus. You know what I mean? Might as well go out with a bang. Let's go and do that. And I really I commend Thomas for that. Thomas had, had some great faith, and he, he was willing to stick with Jesus even when times got hard. Because he could have said, man, Jesus, my tummy's kind of hurting, you know. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick this one out. I'm gonna, I got some other things I got to do. You know, it just, it just came up. Uh, but no, he didn't. He said, let's go. Let's go. He wasn't afraid to follow Jesus, even in the middle of difficulty. You see, I, in the middle of Thomas's story, I see that he was, he was a very loyal guy. And so one of the things I think Thomas can teach us through his story is that following Jesus is never easy. You know, it's not easy. And if someone tells you that it's easy, they're lying to you, okay? The Christian tells you that life um, as, a, as a Christian is easy, they're lying to you. Or if someone tells you that being a Christian is easy, they probably aren't a Christian. They don't understand and haven't experienced the things um, that we have gone through. Because here's the deal. Even if we are believers in Christ, we still have to deal with sin. We still have to deal with the difficulties of this life. We still have to deal with our pride. We still have to deal with our arrogance and, on our, and our lust and our greed and our envy. We have to deal with all of those things. Those things don't go away. Just because we're believers in Christ doesn't mean that they are gonna, they're going to leave us and everything's going to be perfect. Not only do we have to still deal with our sin, we still have to deal with, with the world and the world we live in. We still have to deal with our flesh and we still have to deal with the devil himself. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, I don't have it up on the screen, but Paul says, hey, be strong and put on what? The full armor of God. Because guess what? The fight is not against flesh and bone, okay? The fight is against the spiritual forces. There's a battle going on even in the middle of the Christian life. Being a Christian is hard, because what we have to do is we have to swim up, up, upstream, don't we? We have to swim against the current of our culture. I don't know about you. Have you ever tried to swim upstream? <laughs> That's, it's, it's difficult. It's, it's tough. It's like, why in the world am I doing this? I feel like I'm not going anywhere. And our culture is going one way. And Jesus is saying, you need to go this way if you're following after me. And that can be very difficult. In fact, he, he describes it in, later on in John chapter 16. It's not on the screen again, but I'm, I'm going to kind of read it to you. He said this to his disciples in John 16, 20. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, this is, this is rough, okay? He says, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. That's not a very good life verse, is it, you know? He says, you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn it into joy. Hey, guys, it's, it's going to happen, but there will be a change. And then he goes on to describe the Christian life like giving birth, okay? How at that moment... It is difficult, it is painful, it's tough. Man, there's, there, there, there's a lot of things going on in that moment. And it might not be the most pleasant experience, 
but it only lasts for a short amount of time, and then there is joy. There's joy. He says this in verse 22, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. And later on in verse 33, he says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace, because guess what? In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And guys, when life gets hard, we have to ask ourselves a couple of questions. When we're determining, hey, is this worth it? We have to ask ourselves these questions. What do I desire most, an easy life or the one who created life? Because sometimes we walk around as Christians desiring the easy life more than the one who actually created life for us. Look at our spending habits. Look at how we spend our time. Look at the things that we chase after, the things that we think are important. In this Christian life in America, a lot of times we're chasing after the easy life instead of the one who created life. Or you have to ask yourself this question, what do I desire most, the gift of life or the giver of life? You know, those are tough questions. Because sometimes those are, those are polar opposites. The falling after the Lord or falling after the ways of this world. And we look at Thomas's story where he was still faithful in the middle of, of intense persecution and he knew it was coming and he could have said, you know, I'm out. I don't want to do this anymore. But instead he said, you know what, let's go. Guys, pack your bags, we're going. Even if it cost us our life, he was faithful. And we need to be the same. But there's another story that, that Thomas shows up. The next one is in John chapter 14. And um, this is kind of the famous passage where Jesus is um, towards the end of his earthly life. And it's during the, the Last Supper or the, during the Passover meal. And while they are in that upper room, they're having that meal, we see that uh, Jesus washes his disciples' feet. We also see that he looks around and says, hey, guys, one of you guys is going to betray me. Now, that is an awkward situation, you know, that happens. And then he looks at Peter and says, you're going to fall away. You're going to fall away. And then Jesus says this in John 14, starting verse 1. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I, I, would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Now, I stopped there for a second. I'm like, man, that's kind of confusing a little bit. And guess what Thomas does? Look what he does. Verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. And how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Thomas says something that, that we all say to the Lord. I don't understand. I don't get it. And if I was to be honest with you, sometimes I don't understand the Lord. I don't understand why God does the things that he does and allows the things to happen that he allows to happen. Sometimes I have my doubts. Even as your pastor, I can say that. And this was Thomas. He said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? But you know what? I look at that and I go, at least he asked the question. That probably all the disciples were asking. 
because they didn't understand either. But he at least was brave enough to put that question in front of the Lord. And for a lot of us, we have this faith of this idea of our relationship with God. We can't ask questions. And to ask questions in a way might scare God off in our life or make him turn his face from us. And so we just, we don't ask. We don't get real with God. We don't have these deep conversations and relationship um, difficulties sometimes in our walk of faith. We're just like, you know what? Just that's just how it is. Just how it is. Even though deep down inside, we may be dealing with a lot. We might be going through deep doubt. And that's what Thomas did. Thomas was willing to say, God, I don't know. Like, I don't understand what you're talking about. What in the world are you, are you talking about? But guess what? This is, this is amazing. We need to know that when we look at Thomas' example, look at his example, we need to realize something. That my questions are God's opportunities. It's okay to have questions. And it's okay to have doubt. And look at these disciples. They, they question, had doubt all the time, especially Thomas. And we need to see that, that our questions are opportunities for God to do something incredible. Look, look what happens. Look at the text. Verse 5 says, Lord, Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you are. We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Thomas's question, get, get this, it, pre, it presents Jesus with this opportunity to say something that changed the world. It presented Jesus with the opportunity to maybe put out a verse in the Bible that revolutionized everything and changed everything. He says this, Jesus said to him in response in verse six, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the father except through me. And in this statement, Jesus, he answers a question, honestly, that some questions that I believe that are inside all of our hearts. Questions like, how can I be saved? All of us asked that question at some point. Some of us have asked that question a long time ago. We found the answer. Some of us are still wrestling with that. How can I be saved? How can I be right with the Lord? How can I work to get right with Jesus, with, 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 the, with the Holy Father? How can, I, how can I do that? What do I need to do to make my life right, to fix this? Because something is broken. How, how can that happen? And Jesus says, I'm the way. He says, I'm the way. The answer you're looking for is me. I'm the way for you to be saved. We also ask this question, how can I be sure? Like, like how can I be sure that this is real? Like, let's be honest. Sometimes we have this, we have our doubts. How can, how can I know? Man, when you start listening to the rest of the world, sometimes put some doubts in your heart. Is this real? Is this true? We have those, those moments of doubt and we say, God, how can I be sure that this is real? Am I just wasting my time? Is this real? And Jesus says, I am the truth, the capital T truth. I'm what you're searching for. Sometimes we ask this question, how can I be satisfied? I think that's a big one. You look at our lives. We are trying to find happiness all the time. Think about it, like, the reason you buy the things you buy at the grocery store. The reason you always go to that restaurant once a week. The reason you live in the neighborhood that you live in. The reason you went to school. The reason you had the job that you have. 
The reason you got married, the reason you have kids is you're trying to find happiness in this life, aren't you? Almost every decision we make is, for, is, a, is a way for us to find happiness. I mean, it's kind of morbid to think that we would make decisions so that we'd be unhappy, you know? We don't do that. Deep down inside, we are trying to be satisfied in this life. And we ask this question, deep down inside, how can I be satisfied? And God says, I am the life. That is Jesus' answer. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. We need to realize that sometimes God's greatest moments in our lives happen in our biggest doubts. And that's what happened for Thomas. In the middle of his biggest doubts, he was brave enough to say, I don't understand. Like, I don't get this. I'm not really sure. And Jesus shows up in a big way in his life. So ask your questions, guys. God can handle them. Be honest with him with your doubts. Like, it's not going to scare him off. That's what Thomas did. And can you imagine what Thomas was going through when Jesus says that? I mean, he'd never heard it before. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets the Father except through me. Can you imagine? I mean, his mind is just overwhelmed. His mind is just blown. He's like, I, oh, my goodness, I can't believe this. He's like, finally, this is awesome. Let's go. I mean, he's all in again. He's all in for the Lord. But then the story turns. The story turns because Jesus dies. Put yourself in Thomas' shoes. Jesus just said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I got you. Don't worry about it. Then he, he's hung up on that cross and he dies. And everything changes in Thomas's life. The different gospel accounts describe the resurrection experience, uh, experience and eyewitness testimony. They say that the, these women followers, these women disciples, they, they go to the tomb first and they see, they see it's empty and they, they encounter the, the risen Savior and they're blown away, and they go back and they tell um, the, the disciples who are together. This happened all on Sunday morning, okay? And I love the gospel of John because John describes what happens. It says that Peter, he gets up, and he just starts booking it, you know, and he's just running. Um, he's like in the Olympics, okay? And he's running, and he's going, going to, to, to the tomb. And I love this because John says the disciple whom Jesus loved, which he's talking about himself. That's how he described himself gets up and beats Peter, okay? He said, I'm faster than Peter. And so they're racing, and he makes it, and they get, to, they get to see the empty tomb, and they're blown away. And then the story goes that these, these disciples, they are up in the, this upper room in the evening, that same day, Sunday evening. They are together. And the Bible says that they, the, the, the doors closed, the windows are locked, and they're up there by themselves. Why were they up there by themselves? They were scared. They were scared out of a mind because they thought they were next. Their Messiah, their rabbi, had just been killed. And they thought that they were next. That's why they were up there. They were scared. And what's crazy is the story says that, that Jesus just appears. I don't know if Jesus walked through the wall or the door. That'd be really cool, okay? Um, but he just appears. He appears to them. And they are, they got to witness something that we all wish we could witness. They get to experience one of the greatest moments in human history. But look what John chapter 20, verse 24 says. If you have on the screen. It says, now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. We don't know where he was, but Thomas missed it. 
he missed out. Why did he miss out? He missed out because he wasn't there. Why was he not there? I don't know. Maybe it's because he was just completely devastated that his way, his truth, and his life had just died. And he just needed some alone time. How many of you guys are like that when, when things are going bad? And you're like, stop talking to me. I just need to be alone for a while, you know? And that, that's, that's, I feel like that's Thomas, okay? We just need to be alone. So I don't know where Thomas was, but evidently he had taken off, and he was, he, he was not with, with these guys. He was utterly devastated. And, and here's what happens in verse 25. It says, so the other disciples told him. They went and found him. They said, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, man, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and unless I place my finger into the mark of the nails and I place my hand into his side, I will never believe. I don't believe it. And for Thomas, and I think for a lot of us, seeing is believing, you know? Like we want that evidence in our lives so that we can know for sure that we believe what we believe. Seeing is believing. For some of us in our walk with the Lord, maybe some of us have traveled down this path where where we, we're demanding that God prove himself. Have you gotten to that spot where you demand that God prove himself in your life? You say things like, God, I need a sign. I need a sign that you're, you're real. God, I, I need you to show up like never before. I, I need it. In, in a way, I'm almost demanding that you do that. God, I need you to please come through. And if you'll just come through, I promise I'll live differently, you know, or I promise I'll do this. We start trying to make these deals with God. And you know what? When, he, when we feel like he doesn't show up, we lose faith. And we're almost saying, God, if you don't show up, I'm not believing. I'm not going to believe who you are. I'm not going to believe who you say you are. I'm not going to believe the word. I'm not going to believe your nature. I'm going to, I'm going to turn. Maybe just in a small little way. We always do that. We're like, God, show up. We demand that God reveal himself. Like, like if you're going to the mall and you see a Santa Claus, and you're a little kid, and you go up, go up to sit on Santa's lap and you ask for a bicycle, and deep down inside you're like, if that bicycle doesn't show up on Christmas Day, I'm not believing. Okay, I'm not believing. I'm done. For some of us, that's how it is in our relationship with the Lord. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, Thomas, he was, he was deeply committed, but he still had his struggles he still had his, his doubts. And, and just to be honest, he wanted proof. He wanted that proof. And here's what's cool. Jesus meets Thomas, where Thomas is, is at in his faith. The very next verse, verse 26 says, eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. So eight days later means the next Sunday. So they counted like the evenings, okay? So they're, they're the, the nights, I guess. And so it's eight days later. It's the next Sunday. Like Thomas had to wait an entire week of listening to the other disciples talk about what happened, okay? And Thomas for an entire week had to wait. And he's going, what in the world is going on? Now that, that's, that's a whole message in itself of having to wait on the Lord, you know? And wait on the Lord for his timing. And Thomas had to wait for an entire week. And then they find themselves on Sunday, the very next week, doing the exact same thing. They're up in that upper room, closed off from the rest of the world. And here's what, here's what it says 
halfway through verse 26. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Thomas, put your fingers here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas' response is in verse 28. And he says, Thomas answered him and said, my Lord and my God. What I love about Jesus is that he, he lovingly meets us where we're at. In our walk, in the middle of our struggles, in the middle of our, middle of our doubts. He did that with Thomas and he guided Thomas back to his faith. God comes through, doesn't he? It may not be in the timing that we expect. It wasn't for Thomas. It may not be in the way that we expect. But he comes through. And he did for Thomas. But Jesus says something to Thomas. He, like, he gives him a warning, kind of a reprimand. And honestly, it's a reprimand for us as well. And this is kind of the application for this morning. Check out what he says in verse 29. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. You see, these, these, these words are an encouragement for all of us who have not seen Jesus, which is all of us, okay? We have not physically seen Jesus. We have not physically put our finger in, in, in his hand, okay? We haven't seen the, the nail-scarred hands. We haven't seen that. And Jesus says, Blessed are those who, even though you do not see me, you still believe. You still believe. And this is exactly what God wants us to do. When we look at Thomas' story, you know what God wants us to do? He wants us to believe. He wants us to put our faith and our trust in him. Because the reality is, is that we have more evidence than we think to trust and believe in God. We can believe because we have God's word. We have this incredible word. We, we, we have more information than possibly even the disciples had, okay? We've got, we know the rest of the story. We have all of this information at our fingertips, okay? We can believe because we have God's word. We can believe because we have the providence and, and blessing in our lives. God has blessed us in incredible ways. We should take a step back and just, and just look and remember the ways that he has blessed us. We can believe because of the natural world. You look around, you go, there's got to be a God, you know what I mean? There's got to be a God. We can believe, believe because of the conviction in our hearts. The Holy Spirit working in our lives. And you look back and go, man, he really has. Like, he has saved me from a lot of things. He's taken care of me. We can believe because of the protection that God has, has given us. We'll never know all the ways that God has saved us. You know what I mean? We'll never know how we were this close to falling in danger. This close of our, of our life completely going 180 degrees. And God moved. God changed. God did something. We'll never know. But he's protected us and he's taking care of us. And we can believe because of his promises. And we've seen over and over and in scripture and over and over in our lives and other people's lives that God always comes through. What I'm trying to say is that God has revealed himself, revealed enough about himself in his word, in creation, and in his son for us to have a deep and meaningful relationship with him, with us. He has done that for us. And here's, what, here's how we end. I love what, what John says immediately after, after uh, this, this story. He says this in John chapter 20, verse 30. He says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, 
I'm like, man, I, I want to know what those are, okay? Which are not written in this book, but get this. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Here's what John's saying. He's saying the entire purpose of his gospel, the entire purpose of the word is that you may believe. That you may believe that Jesus really is who he says he is, and he does and promises everything that he has done and promised. Now look closely at verse 28. I'm gonna back up just a tiny bit and we'll finish with this. There's something that happens in verse 28 that I think we need to finish on. I don't wanna overlook this. Look what happens. Thomas answered him when, the, when Jesus shows him himself. Thomas answers with this awesome picture of worship. Thomas says, you can imagine he got on his, on his knees, face down on, on the floor and says, my Lord and my God. What happened is, is that Thomas had this brand new confession of his faith. He wasn't just saying, wasn't just calling Jesus his rabbi and his Messiah. It changed. He starts calling him my Lord and my God. There's this clear and beautiful new confession of his faith. And so I think there's a final thing that we need to kind of wrap our minds around, and it's this. That we need to seek the Lord for answers with our doubts. In the middle of our doubts, we need to not just sit on our doubts. We need to seek the Lord for answers because here's what might happen. We might end up having a faith on fire. Look what Thomas did. From being a skeptic, from being timid, um, from being a pessimist, from, from not being sure, for having doubts and questions, all of a sudden he is on fire for God. Things have completely changed. And, and, and I don't know about you guys, but I need to hear that today. Because sometimes in my life, I'm just like, God, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if all of this is worth it. Because it's tough. The Christian life is difficult sometimes, man. And, and sometimes we're just going through some stuff and mm, I don't know if it's worth it, God. I need to hear from you. I don't know if I'm going right down the right path. And I don't want to waste my life. I'm struggling here, Lord. I need you. We need to seek answers in the middle of our doubt. We need to trust the Lord. We need to go to scripture. We need to pray like never before. We need people around us that are gonna help us with, with dealing with the things that we're dealing with so that we may possibly have a faith on fire. And Thomas's faith doesn't end right there. We don't know a whole lot about the rest of, of Thomas. We, we hear about him a couple times in the book of Acts. But Christian tradition, early Christian writings say that Thomas headed east. And he ended up making his way to southern India. And if you go to India today, you may think, man, India is just almost 100% um, Hindu or, or, and Muslim. And the reality is, I mean, it, it is. I've been to India, in the northern part of India, and there's almost no Christian presence. But if you go to the southern tip of India, there are Christians there. And they trace their faith all the way back to Thomas. There's actually a church you can go to that was founded, get this, in 55 A.D., 55 AD, okay? And it's called St. Thomas's Church. And they believe that Thomas started that church back then. That's a faith on fire. To travel, to give up everything, 
And tradition says that he died by being speared in the side. It's kind of ironic. He wanted to see that faith. He wanted, he wanted to know for sure and see Jesus. And he died that way. A man who, who had doubts and had questions. So guys, it's okay. It's okay to have doubts. It's okay to have questions. Because you know what? That's what that relationship's all about, of, of, of wrestling and struggling and saying, God, I don't know. I'm, I'm confused. Help me. And God begins to work in our lives, and we read Scripture, and we're praying. And all of a sudden, we end up having a stronger faith because we're willing to say, God, I'm just not sure. Help me. Help me. We need to be people like that. We need to be people that are willing to say, you know what? I'll trust you, God. I don't know all the answers. I'll struggle with this. I'm trusting you're going to show up, and God will show up in a mighty way. We might just end up being people that have incredible faith because we've seen God work in our lives. What a great story, Thomas. What a, what a man. I, I, I don't know about you. He's my, the, one, the one disciple I kind of agree with the most. I see the most in, in myself. A man that, that struggles sometimes but still had faith and still trusted the Lord. Let's be like Thomas. Let's pray. Father. Thank you for Thomas. Thank you for John who wrote about Thomas because if it wasn't for, for John, we wouldn't, we wouldn't know, and, and we do. And so I, I thank you that uh, Thomas was a man just like us, that sometimes even with Jesus standing right next to him, he still had his doubts. And, God, we, we confess that sometimes we have doubts as well. I have doubts. I struggle. I struggle with my faith. I know each one of us in this room, we struggle sometimes going, are, are you real, God? Maybe we do know you and we have a relationship with you, but there may be people in this room that, that are far from the Lord. They're here and they're hearing this and like, man, I don't even have faith at all. Like, I, don't, I don't know Jesus. I'm not sure this is real. I've heard about him before, but this is, this is strange. This is different. And so we have doubts. We have questions. But, but God... You show up in a big way. You show up in a big way through your word. We can trust it because it is true. And what it says is true. That Jesus died for us. That he rose from the grave. And he is Lord. He is Savior. And he is God. We can rest on that. We can trust that with our lives. Help us to do that, God. Help us to go from here having a faith that's on fire for you, to live for you everywhere we go, just like Thomas did. We pray in Jesus' name.